welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumloops-Tay-Sequetmec territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sequetmecoulou. And Joe, I actually mm-hmm. did research into the indigenous population of Sweden for this oh, episode. Okay. And... The Sami are the indigenous people of northern Sweden, but they're not considered indigenous to Stockholm where this book is set. So Hmm. no territorial acknowledgement today, but a little bit of a fact. Interesting. Okay, well, good on you for the due diligence. And Brenna, what book slash film slash film are we talking about? So today we're reading uh, Let the Right One In by John Avid Linktvist, as well as we watched the Swedish version of Let the Right One In from 2008, and the English version of Let the Right One In, which is called Let Me In from 2010. This was a lot of vampires for me, Joe, I have to say. (laughs) Yeah, I will commend you because not only is this a big endeavor, this is a long book and obviously two different movies that are both nearly two hours or two hours and change. But also, yeah, Brenna, I've taken you out of your comfort zone. We're into proper horror here. Yeah, and what's fascinating to me is... We'll get into this as we talk about the plot, I'm sure, but I found I could watch the horror parts all day. Mm -hmm. Uh, The bullying of the kids parts was far more emotionally scarring for me, particularly in the American film and in the book. Mm -hmm. And um, I actually, by the time I got to the American film, full confession for listeners, I just skipped over all the bullying scenes because I just couldn't handle them. So... Yes, yeah. that is apparently my line. I will watch a vampire drink blood out of a human being all day, but I will not watch yet another bullying scene by the time we got to the second film. No, you are well within your limits because this is a lot. So folks, if you have not read the book or watched these movies, there is a lot of bullying in all three texts, and there is quite a fair amount of pedophilia in the Mm. book so content Mm. warning for all of that which we are going to have to touch on yeah yeah actually so content warning because there is fairly graphic depictions of pedophilic feelings anyway in the book and there is a a sexual assault Mm -hmm. sort of sort of but yeah, if you if if that is a triggering area for you, you might want to just skip the book version entirely because the filmmakers decided to just leave that alone. And honestly, I applaud them for it. So maybe let's begin with the book, Brenna, because there yeah. is so much going on. And folks, I think we're going to do this in some broad strokes, if only yes. just because there is so much going on that the book feels like... I don't know about you, but there were definitely times where I thought, okay, this is giving me all of the usual YA kind of trope stuff. But then there's also all these adult characters that make it feel like it's just a Swedish thriller. It is doing a lot of things at once, right? Like there is this YA sort of central romance plot. And then there's Mm -hmm. also... There's also like a police procedural happening. Like you could, this book is very long and you could divide it into like a Mm -hmm. police procedural and a vampire romance and have them be like two totally separate books. And you would have enough content for both books. Like it's (laughs) wild how much is going on here. So the book takes place in the Western suburbs of Stockholm. And our protagonist is Oscar. He is 12. And, you know, at the beginning of the book, it seems like he and his mother have a fairly close relationship, but that is going to get strained as the narrative progresses and as mm-hmm. Oscar starts to move outside of the family circle and seek seek love in other places, like right. vampires. Um, yeah. So he's, <laughs> he's also a terrible victim of bullying his father is pretty absent he's an alcoholic who lives in the woods basically and oscar in many ways idolizes his father but he Mm -hmm. idolizes his sober father and really really dislikes his father when he's been drinking and so you know oscar is managing this whole complicated painful dynamic and he's the victim of just horrific bullying at school Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and he has a mother, but the mother is almost she burdens him with too much affection like you can tell that Mm -hmm. she's got this kind of misplaced relationship with him where they have to have dinner they have to watch tv every night and she's completely unaware that any of this is happening and yes Yes. oscar is lying to her or like he's not telling her everything that's happening at school but you're just like there's one point where he gets whipped in the face with a branch and he Mm -hmm. says that he fell on a rock and the mom just accepts it and i'm like come on lady Yeah, the mom is definitely not interested in anything to additionally complicate her life. So Mm -hmm. sucks to be Oscar in that regard. The other thing that I think is important about that relationship is that, like, it's a typical YA trope here. There are Mm -hmm. no adults who Oscar can call upon. So his father is unreliable. His mother can't handle the emotional load of, like, anything new. And his teachers are like useless, useless to a one even the mm-hmm. one mr avila who seems yeah. like he could be useful ends up not being useful so yeah. you know we have this anyway whatever that's oscar <laughs> a yeah. girl moves in next door her name is eli we think she's a girl um right. she's living with this older man who we think it's her father <laughs> we think it's her father but his backstory as it turns out is that he was a teacher caught with like exploitative images of children and so he's been kind of like exiled from society and over the course of the narrative what you discover is that eli basically adopts him looks after him and in return he goes and kills people and drains their blood to keep her alive so they have this like creepy symbiotic codependent uh unhealthy relationship between the two of them Mm-hmm. And it's especially uncomfortable because he clearly has feelings for Eli. And it, those are some of the most horrific scenes to read in the book. Yes, because it's like first person we're inside this pedophile's head. And, mm-hmm. you know, he he's in love with Eli and wants to do things for her, even though the things he's doing are absolutely terrible. Like he's murdering often teenagers because they're more pliable. But it's all in service of because he loves her, they. Mm-hmm. And I'm using pronouns carefully here because Eli does not identify as a girl. In fact, they repeatedly say it, but to the world, they present as female. I think in part to sell this relationship with the father figure. Gender in this book is really something we need to circle back to because mm-hmm. one of the clumsiest aspects of the book is what we discover eventually is that when Eli was turned into a vampire 200 years ago, Eli was castrated at that time. Yes. And the book has used she pronouns for Eli right up until the moment of that reveal mm-hmm. and then immediately and exclusively transitions to he pronouns. Yes. And there's never any articulation of what Eli no. feels. No. Um, Eli Mm-mm. explicitly notes that they are not a girl, but they never really take on the mantle of boyness either. Mm-mm. And the book doesn't actually know how to deal with its own character's gender, which is kind of a strange thing to live inside. Oh, interesting. I kind of read it as vampirism becomes the third the gender? gender. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and and this is in part because Eli doesn't actually feel things, right? Like, they almost don't identify as human anymore. They have less of an interest in remaining current as to what's happening in the world. Like, they don't understand things like what a Rubik's Cube is. Mm-hmm. But they also understand that they still need to live in it, hence the need for an adult relationships, because a 12-year-old child cannot rent an apartment. You know, Eli doesn't have the strength to defend themselves, which is in part why we need this character to look after them. But you're right, it's not spelled out in the way that would be helpful, and it actually feels inappropriate the way it transitions Mm -hmm. from she to he because the character doesn't have that kind of agency yeah i think that's exactly it it feels imposed on eli either way and not in a way that i found particularly like productive towards discussion i just felt Mm -hmm. really uncomfortable with it and even oscar's discomfort is 
at least sort of an act of processing, right? So Oscar mm. is testing out all these different words, like, is Eli an it, actually? Right. Like, it made me wonder if there is a they pronoun equivalent in Swedish? Like, mm. is it just, like, is linguistically that there's nowhere else for this author to go? I don't know. I don't know enough to know. I just know right. that it doesn't work for me in the text. Yeah, ooh, ooh, if we have any listeners in Sweden yes. who didn't have to read a translation of this, please do let us know. Yes, I'd be very, very curious. The films both just sidestep the issue, although we do see the castration, mm -hmm. sort of, in the Swedish version, but without yes. any elaboration. So we don't mm -hmm. get any hand-holding from the film version on this either, and I'm very curious. Yeah, yeah. So... Strangely enough, the plot between Oscar and Eli is one of a tentative kind of romance where Oscar is intrigued by Eli, wants to get to know them, wants to spend more time with them, and Eli encourages Oscar to stand up for himself against the bullies. And that, in and of itself, is a great premise for a book. Like, let's see this mm -hmm. through. It builds to an absolutely all-timer of an ending, especially in the film for me, where Oscar is nearly drowned in the pool by his bullies and Eli rescues him and it's horrific and violent and I love it. And that would be so good. But the book also has about 250 pages of adults who live in this community. <laughs> One of them has cats. One of the women gets turned by Eli in an impulsive attack and then ends up self-immolating in a hospital. Brenna... I don't even know what to do with the fact that we basically have a kind of zombie living dead situation as well. <laughs> yeah, so there's all this stuff that happens sort of after or alongside us making these other discoveries. Um, Hacken, the old man who Eli lives with, gets caught attempting to collect blood for Eli and mm -hmm. has a plan to try to protect Eli by disfiguring himself with acid so that Oof. Eli's identity won't be found right of course there are other ways of finding out who people are than just their physical appearance but it slows the police down to a certain yes. extent and then if you've only ever seen the film you may think like yeah and then he dies but nope <laughs> no no mm -mm. he falls out of the window as in the film or is dropped depending and then he uh is a zombie um because the vampire heart takes over his organs and mm -hmm. is like alive but not alive and he trudges sort of frankenstein's monster like through the wilderness yeah for many pages uh, many pages too many pages <laughs> and, and eventually he's hunting eli for this sexual assault that happens what ends up happening is that another boy in the text who we haven't talked about because really tommy is part of the adult storyline not the kids storyline mm -hmm. tommy meets up with Hacken and I, I stakes him, but every piece of him that he stakes also comes to life. So when the police find him, he's sort of in this traumatized trance, staking, moving pieces of flesh around this bunker, Cold War sort of bomb mm -hmm. shelter space. It's very weird. <laughs> It that is. That whole part yeah. is very weird. <laughs> I mean, really what ends up happening is the story expands beyond Oscar and Eli to include a number of the residents that are living in the surrounding apartment buildings. And Tommy is an older friend of Oscar's. And you think that Tommy's going to get pulled into the bullying storyline in the same way that Eli does. But no, it's Tommy has issues with his mother who is planning to remarry the police officer who is in charge of investigating <laughs> these murders. And... It sounds convoluted, Joe, even as you're like, even as you're describing it in very simple terms. It's just like, yeah. oh my God, there's so many characters. There's and a the lot thing is, of characters. There's so many characters and they're all important. Like... They all have significant... It's not like there's a lot of background characters. Like, mm -hmm. all of these background characters have their own arcs and plots. And yeah. the book itself is structured... Well, I mean, I've read a lot of Swedish police procedurals. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of a similar kind of structure. You get a lot of points of view. You get a lot of alter yes. alternating points of view. But here, there is just so much going on. Yeah. But keeping track of who's doing what and who is where, and actually sometimes keeping track of who is even in imminent peril is actually mm -hmm. really hard. Yeah, I, I got to the point where I just kind of latched onto certain characters. So obviously Oscar, Eli, 
And then to a far lesser extent, there's Lackey, who is the local alcoholic who is in love with Virginia, who is also kind of an alcoholic, but she's got a better head on her shoulders. And their love affair is sort of the other kind of big storyline that follows throughout the book. And she is the woman who ends up getting bitten by Eli. And then she realizes what is happening to her. She tries to go after Gusta, who is the local recluse who has too many cats. And we learn that cats react very badly to vampirism. And she's the one who in both films ends up in the hospital and she decides to die by suicide by exposing herself to sunlight. But it's a lot through Virginia's attack that we learn more about the physiology of the vampire. So you mentioned, like in the book, we go into a certain amount of detail about how it it's not even a parasite. Like you don't really get infected by it so much as you get infected and a whole new organism takes mm-hmm. root in your chest cavity around your heart to the point where like a staking or a beheading isn't always enough because you've got this whole other creature who could hypothetically get out of your body and live. And that's really fascinating, but somehow it also barely gets exposed (laughs) or interrogated. It's bizarre. This book is so much and yet in some regards so little. Yeah, it's very strange. And then there's also the character of Staffan, who is the police officer who is investigating this case. Mm -hmm. There's a lot going on here in the book also around religion. So Staffan is devoutly Christian. And he's interested in Yvonne, who is Tommy's mother, and they are you know, embarking on taking their relationship more seriously. And Tommy's trying to find an exit door because he does not want to be part of this new marriage. Mm -mm. There's like, that's like, that's a whole, that's a whole novel Mm -hmm. by any other writer, right? But instead, this is being kind of pieced through. And of course, you know, Staffan is always just a few steps behind Hacken, doesn't really know about Eli and is trying to piece this whole thing together. Mm -hmm. In many ways, the book is very interesting, and there are sections that I really enjoyed, but I found some parts just very difficult to read to the point of skimming or skipping Mm -hmm. and thinking of things like, yeah, being in a first-person perspective of a pedophile who is looking at a small child is not fun. Um, Also, there's, you know, there's a sexual assault, there's animal abuse, there's... Mm -hmm. Uh, really grotesque descriptions of what acid does to a human face (laughs) yes there's just like a lot of that Mm -hmm. and yeah it's this book is very long and it has a (laughs) lot of really horrifying things in it and at the same time you have to keep a lot of plot lines together and i can see that this book is very well done and i hope to never revisit it again oh sure yeah (laughs) Part of the problem, I think, is that by the time you get into the end of the book with the climax, it's moving at such a breakneck speed, and there's still so much to resolve between these four or five dominant stories. It doesn't end up really satisfying. Like, so we have Staffan, the police officer, coming in upon his potential future stepson, and there's no moment of recognition, like, oh my god, you're beating to death a living, yeah, Frankenstein's monster creature, that's the last we see of those characters. There is no resolution to how they patch up their relationship or what Staffan realizes, like, holy cow, there's monsters living in this world that are responsible for all these murders. We never touch base with Lackey after Virginia has died. He just, you know, we get a little bit of him sort of moping around and going back into an alcoholic state. So really what we're left with then is the brief resolution of what happens with Oscar and Ellie. We've been saying Eli the whole time. (laughs) And they just get on a train and head out. And my big problem with the book is that that is so brief, right? Like the implications in both films are massive. Like you understand what this means for Oscar's future. And in the book, it's like, and then they left. They were on a train. You're like, wait, what? That's it? Well, the pacing in this book is so strange because I would say the first 300 pages are some of the slowest going Mm -hmm. I've ever encountered (laughs) in a thriller. Like, I mean, it's one thing to encounter slow plotting literary fiction, right? But this is like 
a thriller that is very slow and plotting. And, you know, I'm not exaggerating when I say, like, we get three or four vignettes of Hack and the Monster in the woods. Mm -hmm. We just get so much time spent. And then the ending feels absolutely frantic because we're moving between character perspectives maybe two or three paragraphs at a time jumping constantly trying to resolve all these loose ends and it's so hectic Mm -hmm. and harried after a book that has to this point moved so slowly and all i wanted to say was like what if you Right. Cut out some of the description in the beginning part and used it to explain to me what the heck is happening at the end. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so, so true, right? We probably should acknowledge that there is an, a novella that picks up with Oscar and Eli that offers a little bit of clarity. I did not read it. You did not read it. No. This was already a lot for a single episode, but I'm intrigued by this idea that this a very long book realized oh there's still more that i need to do <laughs> and i'm not even trying to say that in a very sort of shady condescending way it's just it's more we've talked about the need for editing in books that are maybe tackling too much and i very much felt like this is an adult thriller that has been combined with a ya supernatural love story And there are tension points where the two stories are at odds with one another. And I don't think it satisfies us fully as a result. Yeah, it's it's not satisfying as either, right? Because we don't have enough resolution of the romance for what we would expect of a YA romance Mm -hmm. that's, you know, paranormal romance. And we certainly don't get any real resolution to the police procedural slash thriller that's happening alongside it. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, there are moments here where I was really entranced and many more moments where i was confused right well why don't we now transition over to the film because this is an interesting case of i think even the author linkfist realizing that they had bitten off too much or at Mm -hmm. least when they were making a film they had to edit because the author of the book also adapts their own material for the screenplay of the swedish film and I think they made a lot of really smart decisions. Yeah, I agree completely. So Let the Right One In, 2008 Swedish film, as I mentioned, adapted by Linkvist and directed by Thomas Alfredson. Brenna, I'm curious what you thought of this film, because for the first time, I think, ever, you and I both had seen the film before we read the book, but you gave me the okay to program this in part because you had seen the film and you liked it. I know that you found the bullying stuff disturbing, but you were okay with the vampirism. Yeah, I know. I'm very interested in this about myself as well, because, yeah, I think that the story itself is quite sweet at the core, and that Mm -hmm. really helps with the film. You know, the film version strips out a lot of what is most disturbing about the book. Yes. So we have a much more subtle, if at all, sort of sexual relationship between Eli and Hacken. That's I've seen critics say that that relationship is still there. It's subject to interpretation. For me, I didn't get it when I watched it without the context of the book. Really? Okay. I definitely do see it, but I think it can also be misread. Like, I've seen people actually misunderstand the nature of their very relationship and do think that he is her father. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't get that. I knew that this was sort of a manipulative relationship, but I think Mm -hmm. that in the film... Because we're not exposed to Hacken's inner thoughts, Mm -hmm. Eli has more power and more agency in the relationship in the film version, which makes it a lot easier to manage the complicated and 
maybe troubling dynamics that are happening there. Mm-hmm. But I also just really like the relationship between the two kids. I also think yes. this is going to sound awful, Joe. Okay. The bullying is a lot easier to take in the film, A, because it's toned down, mm-hmm. but also because Oscar is a super weird kid. And like, he's a super yes. weird kid in the book too. But in the book, you know from the beginning that he's a super weird kid because he has this complicated home life and because he is being tormented. Whereas in the book, he's almost creepy and weird first before you have the bullying layered on top of it. And Mm -hmm. it sounds awful to say, but that makes it all a lot easier to watch. (laughs) No, I I do understand what you're saying. And... Honestly, big shout outs to Kari Hedebrandt as Oscar and Lena Leanderson as Eli because the children are so vocalized in the film compared to the book that Mm -hmm. the film doesn't work if their relationship doesn't work. And these child actors are so good. But you're right that Hedebrandt makes Oscar a bit of a weird kid, which is saying something because in the book he actively collects clippings of serial killings like he he basically has a sociopath's bible and Mm -hmm. in the film that gets stripped away a little bit there's still a brief image of him collecting headlines of these murders that hacken is committing but overall so much of it is just dedicated to him trying to survive this bullying but also yeah he's a weird little kid and i think it works in the service of the film Yeah, there's something very unsettling about him, and he seems like, yeah, he can fall in love with a vampire. It's going to be all right. Mm -hmm. He's already sort of, it's fine. You know? I don't know how to say it without sounding like a horrible person, but... Oh, for sure. Yeah, you know, maybe I'm a horrible person. That's fine, too. (laughs) We should note that Lena Leanderson plays Eli, but... They actually dub the child actress's voice with an older, sort of gender-neutral slash masculine-sounding voice. So Elif Salen plays Eli's voice, and then there's also a different actress that plays her when Eli hasn't fed in a while and starts to Mm. age. So there's an actress, Suzanne Rubin, who plays aged Eli. And I think that these changes, the voice change creates almost like a cognitive dissonance where if you don't know it it just seems like the voice has a certain affectation but if you know it you're like oh that voice doesn't come from that person and then also there's a repeated visual motif of oh this is actually a fully different person so i think that those are smart very subtle ways of making eli just a different kind of character than all of the human characters in the film Yeah, it's interesting because the American version, which we'll talk about in a second, uses a lot of sort of, well, I shouldn't say a lot, but uses CGI to make Eli's motions, Abby in the American film, to make those motions seem otherworldly. And for me, that doesn't work to the same degree that this sort of just uncanny strangeness. Like, I didn't actually know that that's how they were achieving that effect, Joe, until you just described it. For Mm -hmm. me, the experience was just of watching this... Yeah, this just very uncanny figure who sometimes seems like an adult and sometimes seems like a very small child. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's very, I think it's much more effective in this version. Yeah, I agree. And that's no shade on Matt Reeves' American 2010 interpretation. As some of you may have heard, there was an incident last night. One of your recent graduates here was killed. In the meantime, we need you all to be on the lookout for any suspicious activity. You guys just moved in, huh? How do you know? I live next door to you. What happened there? Some kids from school? I'll help you. You're a girl. I'm a lot stronger than you think I am. Can you hear me through the wall? Only sometimes. I found another body a few days ago. Victim completely drained of blood. Please don't see that boy again. Where's your dad? He pissed on my dad. 
What was that? What was going on? Hello? What are you? Really? I need blood to live. Hey there. You okay? Obviously, we've got Chloe Grace Moretz and Cody Smith McPhee doing also really, really, really great work. It's just mm-hmm. a different kind of work. And for me, I remember the first time I saw this, I was telling you off air that I really hated the remake because it is so similar to the Swedish version that I didn't understand why they bothered. There's really only just a couple of small, insignificant well, sort of insignificant details they could change. But one of the things that really stood out to me was the CGI used on Abby. And I found mm-hmm. it so off-putting because it looks really, really fake. Like it's yes. frankly terrible CGI that is not convincing. And so much of the rest of the film feels grounded in reality, mm-hmm. despite the circumstances of the story, that when you see this bony but CGI character climbing trees and going up buildings, you're just like, nope, that's yep. not. Mm-mm. It takes you right out of the film. It's a really good meditation when you watch the two of them on the power of not showing things, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we don't need to see Eli slash Abby crawl up the side of a building to understand that she can. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And the way that Let the Right One In, you know, shows a quick change of Eli moving from one balcony to another. Like, okay, my Mm -hmm. brain can figure out that she's moving quickly right whereas Mm -hmm. the the desire in let me in to show that and to to take it into the direction of the spectacular Mm -hmm. it's ultimately has the opposite effect it pulls you right out whereas the uncanny strangeness of what's going on in let the right one in is extremely um engrossing Mm -hmm. yeah i will say one of the other things that really really works for me in both of the film adaptations that i sometimes lost a little bit in the book was just how chilly and atmospheric the location Mm. is so the swedish film they're both set in the winter but the swedish film has a kind of icy coolness to it like it's a lot of stark imagery of white snow everybody's always wearing their winter jackets you're seeing a lot of this just kind of nordic sensibility right it really transposes you over and makes you think Okay, when when you see Eli and they're not wearing a jacket or they're barefoot mm-hmm. in the snow, it's so evocative, right? It's really rich. And mm-hmm. then the American version, it takes place in New Mexico, but also during the winter period. And it has almost a kind of orangey blue hue to it, which is good because it does distinguish it from its Swedish counterpart, but it still evokes that kind of like a desert coolness in a way and i really mm-hmm. thought that they were eye-catching because we've got a lot of outdoor scenes like hacken is doing a lot of murders outdoors and we've got bodies being discovered in lakes we've got attacks happening in the pool but like people are coming in through skylights so the environment is really really important to both of these films and i think that both directors and their cinematographers are just shooting this in such a way that it feels rich but cold i agree it's interesting as a choice that both the films make too because the book itself is set in fall descending into winter right Mm -hmm. and as the community is increasingly overtaken by this vampire winter is also descending so it's like it's some great pathetic fallacy for the english Mm -hmm. lit nerds in the room (laughs) (laughs) the films obviously decide to just not do that to to submerge the story in winter but the Mm -hmm. other thing that's interesting about los alamos as the setting for the american version is the Cold War actually hangs heavily over this text. In the yeah. book, we actually have a Russian submarine that is like docked <laughs> off the coast. I can't believe that we forgot to mention it, Brenna. <laughs> <laughs> and it's but it's this specter, right? And the fact mm-hmm. like that all the kids hang out in these bunkers, which are bomb shelters, yes, right? Like yes. they're nuclear mm-hmm. bomb shelters. And so there aren't many places in the US in eighty three that are gonna evoke the same Mm -hmm. kind of 
ethos, but Los Alamos is one such place, right? And Los Alamos is going to have bunkers and bomb shelters and that same kind of, you know, we've got Richard Nixon on the TV screen in the hospital in both films and stuff. So I really kind of appreciated that careful attention to place that the film makes because I was worried that we would lose some of that as the film takes it out of its Swedish context, but I think it Mm -hmm. made a very clever choice. Yes, strong, strong agree. And I like that it's so subtle that you could almost miss it, but it's actually key to the story that we're telling, right? Like it's it's a vital piece of it, but also if you missed it, you would still catch a sense of it. Mm-hmm. It's just really smart filmmaking. And I think in both versions, the use of violence it's almost a punctuation on the more interesting story about how do these two teenagers, well, one teenager and then one vampire who has been a teenager for several hundred years, you know, they're both outsiders and that's mm-hmm. part of what their connection is formed around. And I love how the story is a romance, but it's actually not because it's a tragedy. We're just watching mm-hmm. Oscar give up his life in service. Like, he just doesn't yep. understand that until maybe ever. But... Yeah. Yeah. I also... Just one more thing about police before we before yes. we transition away. It's also worth noting that um, there's a lot of attention in the book. Oh, my God. (laughs) There's so much weird stuff in the book. There's a (laughs) lot of attention in the book to the fact that the western suburbs of Stockholm are planned communities. Oh, right. Yeah. Stockholm had this um, sort of intentional sprawl, very different from the way suburbs sprawl in North America, which is sort of like, where's the land cheap? We we build. Whereas Mm -hmm. this was like a plan of where these apartments were going to go and, and, and what suburbs were going to look like in the context of a a Nordic model. So you have this planned community and again, Los Alamos, a planned community, Mm -hmm. right? Planned for a very different purpose, planned around (laughs) nuclear war, but planned nonetheless. And so outsider characters in the context of a planned community too, there's this additional layer of like, everyone else fits. Why don't you fit? This is a community that was built for everyone to fit, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that adds to what brings the two of them together, but also kind of this very effectively done in both films, uncanny vibe. Yeah, and it's interesting too, right? Because there's very much a sense that this is a community that knows each other well. Like, I think especially with the adult storyline, some of which continues in Let the Right One in the Swedish version. You know, we still have Lackey, we still have Victoria, we still have Gusta. They very much are keeping tabs on one another. So if one of them doesn't show up at the bar to get drunk that night, they're going to notice. And yet there's also this pervasive sense in the book, but also both the films that people don't actually understand what's happening in the apartment building right next to them. And that's Mm -hmm. how Ellie and Hacken, aka Thomas in the American film, are able to make their way into this and start preying on people, right? Like, there's an anonymity within the community that is at odds with one another. Yeah, agree completely. It's, it's very interestingly done. And it, it is really evocative. Like, I'm surprised by how much more I connected to the films, plural, than the book. Because obviously, as listeners know, that's not usually how it goes for me. No. <laughs> but I will say that where the American sensibility is most explicit for me in Let Me In is in the portrayal of the bullying, which is like... Mm, It is elevated. Like, even before the pool scene, in in both the book and the Swedish film, there's a sense that Jimmy coming on the scene... That's why things escalate. So Johnny's older brother wants to get back at Oscar in the film because he has injured him. In the book because um, they have this one photo album. There's so many broken families. In oh this. my gosh. Yes. Oh my God. They have this one photo album from their father that they don't want their mother to know about. So they keep at school. By the way, so many kids in this book keep their most treasured possessions in their school desk, mm-hmm. which is 
weird, but whatever. <laughs> um, and so when Oscar burns the classroom down, which we didn't even talk about, but that's a thing that happens. Yep. Those photos are destroyed. So anyway, but the arrival of Jimmy is the real escalation, right? Like prior to Jimmy, the bullies are mean. The bullies are bullies. Obviously, his life isn't great. But I was never concerned that Oscar was going to be killed. Mm-hmm. The bullies in the American version, from the first scene that you yeah, see them in, from the jump, you believe that they could and will kill Owen. And part yes. of it is like, I just think I'm going to draw a line. I can't watch anything with Dylan Minnette in it. Like, oh, <laughs> but he's so cute in this. He's like a baby sociopath. I forgot that he was in it, and he looks so young. And he's terrifying. He's terrifying. And he seems to be typecast in these texts about bullying specifically, where he is either the bully or the bystander who let it happen. And he's, mm. he is terrifying. Oh my gosh. Yeah, he does. He looks like a baby sociopath who will murder you in your sleep. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is you really want to program 13 Reasons Why. Oh my god, I'm re- I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, we mentioned that there's a lot of similarities between the two films with a couple of key distinctions. I would say a lot of people zero in on how Matt Reeves stages some of the action as well as the CGI. The film begins in media res and then we jump back so that we understand some of the context. Those are differences. I would say the depiction of bullying is the other big thing and it feels more suitable for an American context where they recognize, mm-hmm. oh, we're actually going to have to up the stakes more because what happens in the Swedish version is almost too tame to be believable mm-hmm. in the States, which is scary. Yeah. yeah, it really is. It's really upsetting. But I will say, I mean, I know that you had difficulties with it, but I appreciate how, it sounds weird to say, understated the violence is. Even when we get to the end of these films, to these iconic dual pool scenes, Mm. one of the things that really interests me is the way that our attention is distracted in a way. So we're focusing Mm -hmm. on Oscar, who has been told he needs to hold his breath underwater for three minutes. If he can do so, he'll only get cut on the cheek. If he can't, he will get an eye gouged out. So we're focusing on him, and we know he's not going to make it because this is a child who has barely begun strength training to withstand the bullying, so he does not have the capacity to hold his breath. And we're focusing on him, and then we start to see that there's a commotion. But the whole time we're filming underwater, so we can't see what's happening above, which is brilliant staging. Mm -hmm. And then we see a pair of feet get dragged along the pool, and that is so bizarre and just it doesn't make sense, right? Like to our rational minds, we think what is happening up there? And then that's when we start to see like heads and arms falling into the pool around Oscar. And of course, he's not reacting because he's trying to hold his breath and not die. And I just think it's brilliant because it is absolutely horror, right? Like we are seeing dismembered body parts. We are seeing dead bodies. When he comes up, the pool deck is littered with bodies. It's either two bodies or four, depending on which version you're watching. And yet, I don't know. Like, I don't, do you feel vindication at this moment? I'm never certain how to feel because I don't like the idea of preteens being murdered, but there's also Mm -hmm. something incredibly satisfying after having seen the bullying that Oscar has gone through. It's more vindicating for me in the American in Let version. Me in, in the American okay. version, because the bullying has escalated so much. I don't. I don't. Not sad that those characters are dead in Let the Right One In because they're terrible people. Like, <laughs> you know. Um, but I mean, there's a certain amount of bloodlust in the mm-hmm. American version for the audience in seeing those boys get killed. Yes, get frankly, theirs. yeah. But I will say that you're right. You talk about the distraction and the focalization, like the physical violence in either of these films or the the book does not hold a candle to the emotional violence whether mm-hmm. it's in the form of the bullying whether it's in the form of the pedophilia whether it's in the form of the attempted sexual assault it's never what you see it's always mm-hmm. everything else and i think that that is both a strength of the way the text and the films have been constructed and also a reason why I never want to watch or read any of these again as long as I know. 
<laughs> you know what? You've already watched Let the Right One In twice now, so I feel like you can't even say that with any authority. Like, I, I just don't believe you. No, never again. Never again. <laughs> okay. Well, speaking of never again, uh, why don't we move into some YA bingo to close this up? Let's do it. Bingo! Not a good bingo. Okay. All right. So we're working with three texts. I feel a little maybe better about our chances. Okay. I think there's a lot here. So I'm going to go, I'm going to make a play for coincidental classes Okay. for Mr. Avila's uh, gym class mm. and strength training yes. in the Swedish version. Okay. Um, in particular, because like with the skating and everything, like it's all sort of parallel. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say CGI for the American version. It's so yeah, bad. It's real it's bad. It's so bad. Um, it's you know what? It's even bad on an iPad. You know how sometimes when you watch it in the small, the CGI is mm-hmm. not so it's bad. It's not as but, bad. Oof. This one was. <laughs> it was so bad. So so bad. Um, obviously, magic and supernatural. I'm yes. going to go with borrowed time because you know they're going to get found out, right? Mm-hmm. Like. There is only so much time for this to go on. Oh, the whole, especially in the films, right? Like we open with attacks in both yeah. of these films and you know, it's just not going to go well. No. Um, Abuse, I think. Yeah. I'm obviously for, I don't want to talk about why. Mm-hmm. Um, Dead body and dead family. Cause, yeah. Or undead body and undead family. <laughs> <laughs> however you want to take it. Um. That's what I've got. What do you have, Joe? Okay, so I do have a road trip because there are a couple of points where Oscar goes to visit his father. Oh, yeah, that's true. And I mean, I was going to try to make a play for stunt casting because Richard Jenkins plays the father in the American version. That's probably me being generous to how well known Richard Jenkins is. But to me, he's famous. I don't know I could make the claim to other people. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know who you're talking about. So. <laughs> it's the, the dad character in, uh, oh. like, not Oscar's okay. dad, uh, Eli's dad. Dad, in quotation marks. Oh, yeah. He looked familiar to me, but I didn't know who he was. A very famous character actor. So, mm-hmm. um, and then I guess the only other one that I had was, okay, so I've got two more. I've got perfect date for all of the playground sort of yeah. meet cutes that the kids have. Rubik's Cubes. Yeah, which is a fun, (laughs) weird choice. And then the final one is actually the chosen one. And that's Mm. because Oscar feels like he's being groomed for the entire story. Yeah. We didn't really touch on it. But to me, I think that's one of the reasons why I gravitate so strongly, particularly to let the right one in. I saw it at a point when I was really learning to appreciate foreign films. And it just plays almost less like a horror film than an emotional tragedy watching this Mm -hmm. character get groomed for a life that you know could very easily end with an acid face bomb Mm -hmm. and i think that's so sad and disturbing right like this child doesn't understand the implications of what he's signing up for but he thinks he's going on a grand adventure with a creature that he could love i have a question for you about queer secondary characters Okay. So when Dev and I watched Let the Right One In, we mm-hmm. both had the reaction, not that Oscar's father was an alcoholic who he was trying to get away with. Oh, the friend who comes over? Yeah, but that yeah. they were in a relationship and that that was what made Oscar uncomfortable. I feel that way for the film and not for the book. No, not for the book at all, because the friend is clearly just there to drink his booze. Yes. <laughs> but I did, I wanted to know if you caught, if you felt that in the film too, or if I was reaching. No, so interestingly enough, I had never felt it before. And then when I was watching the films for this, I felt it in both the Swedish and the American versions, more so in the Swedish version. Okay, cool. I just like to know when I'm not totally off base. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, that actually does give us a line, but barely. I, I actually thought we were going to do a little bit better here. And we, hmm. yeah, we just scrape by. <laughs> Well, at least we got a line. Good on you, weird pedophile vampire book. (laughs) Maybe don't refer to it that way to (laughs) people that you don't know all that well. Brenna, what are you reading right now? Mm. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Okay, so Brenna, 
That means yes. we can wrap up our discussion and we can start to tease where we're headed next. So we are moving into a new book club because, of course, we have wrapped up The Pig Man. So where are we headed next? Oh, we are reading George by Alex Gino. Or if you've purchased the book since the beginning of 2022, you might know it as Melissa. We'll talk a lot about the title change. But mm. if you're reading it and you want to write in, you can find us uh, for long form stuff, hkhspod at gmail.com. We love your book club emails. Please mm -hmm. keep them coming. Yeah, and then uh, for our regular mini-sode next week, we are going to be checking out Oscar-nominated Coda, which is a child of deaf adults, and I thought this would be an interesting programming because we have talked a lot about ableism, we have not talked a lot about deafness, and this seems like a very popular option that people have said, you know, it's very heartwarming and nice, so I thought it might be a good sort of chaser after the chilly <laughs> vampirism pedophilia, Brenna. Thank you. I appreciate the break very much. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to read ahead for the next main episode, we are going to be checking out Better Nate Than Ever. So we're going to do some middle grade fiction. And this is basically a queer kid who wants to chase his dreams onto Broadway. And uh, in part, we're checking this out because there's a new movie that just dropped. So... Same title, Better Nate Than Ever. So excited. This is in my wheelhouse. We're getting back into Brenna's comfort zone for a couple of weeks. <laughs> a little song and dance, a little razzle-dazzle. Looking forward to it. So if you want to reach out to us about anything, particularly if you are Swedish and have insight on how gender works in the Swedish version of the text, we would mm. like to know. You can find us at HKHSPod or on the hashtag HKHSPod on Twitter. If you want to find Joe specifically, Joe, where do they find you? I am at B still on my remote, and that's the letter B. And if you have more recommendations for pedophilic vampire stories no. for me, you can find me at Brenna C. Gray, and that's Gray with an A. Yeah. Okay. That's it, Joe. That's it. We're done. This was a lot. This was a lot, yeah. Thank you for <laughs> bearing through it. Uh, but on the plus side, yeah, we never have to talk about it on the show again. I'm actually genuinely proud of myself. I didn't even whine very much to you this whole process. This is true. Yeah, yeah. yeah you handled it like a champ. So much so that I don't have to put you into a trunk and communicate with you <laughs> via Morse code. I was going to try to... <laughs> no, no, I'm just going to edit that out. It'll get noise <laughs> reduced. Nobody will even understand what she just did. <laughs> well, until next time, I will see you on the page. And I'll see you on the screen. Bye-bye. So today we are talking about Let the Right One In by John, um, I didn't practice this. Mm -hmm. I How thought the same thing. How did we say that? Okay, so 2008's Let the Right One In, Swedish film, uh, this, uh, sorry. No, I had this all ready to go, and now it's, no. <laughs> So really what we're left with then is the brief resolution of what happens with Oscar and Ellie. So what we're left with is the brief resolution with Oscar and Ellie. And We've been saying Eli the whole time. I know, we've been saying Eli. So what we... <laughs> we probably should acknowledge that there is a subsequent sort of novella that picks up with Oscar and Ely. Am, am I still saying it wrong? We We've been saying Eli since the beginning of the Eli. episode, but okay. I don't know what is correct. I do not either. Okay. <laughs> we have Staffin, the police officer, discovering Tommy, his potential future uh, son-in-law. Stepson. Sorry. We have Staffin, the police officer, discovering Tommy, his potential future son-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> You're making the family relationship even weirder than it already is. I'm cutting all this out. <clears throat>